Amen, church family. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, we have Bibles for you. You can go right in the back. One of our ushers, Mike, uh, is out there standing, and he'd be happy to give you a copy of God's Word. We're in Matthew chapter 10. That's the first gospel in the New Testament. We're in the chap- 10th chapter, and we're going to finish this chapter uh, today. Uh, and we're going to look again at verses 24 through 42. I'm going to read those for us as we uh, close out the new year, or close out the, the year and go into the new year. That's what we'll do. All right, let's hear the words of Jesus to us. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. Jesus tells us that a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring a peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gather or gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, He will by no means lose his reward. One of the great comforts for us, brothers and sisters, one of our comforts as Christians, and as we we seek to follow Christ, is knowing this, that Christ does not call us to go anywhere he himself has not already been. That's where we find some comfort here. That's actually what he's laying out for us in this text. And this is, this is true even as we consider Christ's call for endurance through trials and tribulations. I want you to consider just for a moment 
Christ's life as a whole, just looking at it a macro perspective. Christ's entire life from beginning to end, his earthly life, was marked by trouble. From his birth, if we start there, his family was on the run. He was born away from his hometown, and he was placed in a manger. A manger is just a fancier way to say animal trough. From there, he had to flee to Egypt and, and again to Nazareth. And then as he publicly appeared after his baptism, Jesus was intensely tempted by the devil to, to gratify himself, to preserve himself, and even to exalt himself. And when Jesus began teaching, he began preaching, he began healing in the villages among the people, he was, he was called a blasphemer and even demonic. He was rejected by his hometown in which he grew up. You might remember they, they tried to lead him to a cliff and throw him off of it. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends. And when a great crowd came to arrest him that night in the garden, just as he predicted, all his friends abandoned him. They struck the shepherd and the sheep scattered. Finally, he was led before councils to be mocked beaten, and ultimately crucified. Brothers and sisters, this is the Jesus whom we follow. This is the Jesus that we are disciples of and who is our master and who is our, our teacher. And so where I want to encourage us is not to be surprised if our lives are also marked by trouble. Because Jesus' life was. I know for some of you, this past year was difficult to follow Jesus. Some of you, you this, li this year of 2019, you, you reflect, yes, you see blessings, but you, you can see heartaches and, and burdens and, and trials and doubts and weariness. Yet here you still are, enduring, still running the race. It, it might be a slow trot. But you're still running. Others of you, you might look back and you say, you know, you know 2019, it, it wasn't so much of a challenge. Yeah, sure, there were difficult times, but most of all, I, 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 it, it was pretty smooth sailing. Well, well, that doesn't mean that 2020 will be the same. Doesn't mean necessarily it'll be awful, but it doesn't mean that it'll be the same. But, but what Jesus wants us to do is to be prepared. Be prepared and not to be caught off guard, not to be surprised. Don't be surprised of the, uh, of the fiery darts that come at you that we read elsewhere in Scripture. Jesus wants us to be prepared because he says, following me has its costs, has its costs. And when it's the costliest, brothers and sisters, you and I, just like Jesus in the, in the wilderness when he is being tempted, we too will be tempted by the evil one. And the evil one will seek to tempt us to despair. To despair by, by causing us to think, by placing thoughts in our minds, to think that if God really loved me, if God really cares for me, if I'm really doing God's will, I wouldn't have this trouble. And Jesus is telling us now, maybe to comfort you now as maybe you're feeling the trouble or to prepare you for the trouble that is yet to come. 
He is telling us now that so that when these times come, that we can look to him with confidence to as our author and our perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, who despised the shame and who is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What he wants us to, to remember and what he wants us to know is that the cross comes before the crown. That's how it always works. And so as we even read in Hebrews 12, as for this reason we are to consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? So that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Some of you are weary. Some of you are faint-hearted. And I want you to hear Jesus' words to you this morning as an encouragement not to stop running, but to look to him. Here's the point. We find comfort to endure hostility, sufferings of all sorts, even if it may be death itself, because Jesus tells us that if you're following me, you're being conformed into my image. And the glory that I now have, Jesus says, I will share with you. And so just as Christ suffered and the Spirit raised him from the dead, so the Holy Spirit has been given to us and has sealed us and is a down payment of our inheritance, and we too will be raised from the dead. And just as Christ was humbled and then exalted, so we too are being disciplined by the Father who is, who is shaping us and molding us and humbling us so that at the proper time he may exalt us. Brothers and sisters, you and I can endure trials and tribulations as, as, as a sheep in the midst of wolves because Christ has blazed the trail for us leading to resurrection and glory. We're just following that trail. And so keeping this in mind, Jesus instructs us here in Matthew chapter 10 how to endure to the end, how to keep running so that we may receive the crown of righteousness, our, our salvation. And here, here's what I want you to hear. And not succumb to the pressures of this world to deny him. Because you are going to become weary at some point. Maybe you're here already. You're faint-hearted, and the temptation is, there's rest if I stop running. If I quit, I won't be weary anymore. And Jesus says, you can't quit. There's a cross before the crown. Last Sunday, we saw that Jesus calls us to have rightly placed expectations. That's really what I've just been reiterating. Hey, just know that if they called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more are they going to malign you? We're to have rightly placed expectations, but also we're to have rightly placed fears. We're, we're to fear God, not men. And the temptation and the pressure is to fear man and not God. Well, today I want us to see that if we're going to endure, we must also have rightly placed priorities. And we'll end on a very positive note and rightly placed rewards. Let's look at these rightly placed priorities. This really goes hand in hand with proper fear of God. Because a proper fear of God will actually lead to rightly placed priorities. Jesus has told us that, that we're not to fear those who can, get this, merely kill the body. Right? <laughs> Don't fear them. All they can do is kill you, Jesus says. But they cannot, here's the good news, touch your soul. 
Rather, we're to have a proper fear of God who's able to destroy both soul and body in the place of torment, hell. And so what we see here, Jesus is saying that enmity with humanity, this is just summarizing it, don't fear them. Enmity with humanity is temporary. The, the weariness that you have because of the, the afflictions of this world, you feel like you are a fish out of water. Everything is difficult. He says it's only temporary, even if it kills you. But enmity with God is eternal. Do you see the? And the flip side is true. Oh, I could, I could quit running this race and I could find pleasure now. Well, it'll be temporary. But if you keep running the race, the crown that you will receive is eternal. Do you see the contrast that Jesus is painting for us? And so Jesus tells us, don't fear man in such a way that you would turn your back on the heavenly Father. Rather, fear God in such a way that you'd gladly turn your back on humanity. That's what he's saying. So what does this look like? And this is, I think, where we get into priorities. Jesus moves into this idea. He extrapolates this idea of fearing God with calling us to have rightly placed priorities. And what is our rightly placed priority? It is to treasure Christ above all. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up treasure on earth which is temporary, but store up treasure in heaven, which endures forever. And here's what he's, he's getting after. We're to stand with Jesus even when the world stands against him. Jesus puts it this way in verses 32 through 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. There's a promise. There's also a warning, but whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is incentivizing us to keep running, first of all, with a warning, okay? He does warn us. And, and in fact, I, I've mentioned this before, but I want you to keep this in mind, that the warnings in Scripture are, are God's grace towards us to keep us to endure. He warns us what will happen so that we will not quit. And so if we turn our backs on him, Jesus says, I, in a very flippant, I wouldn't say flippant, but in a very sobering way, he'll turn his back on us. And this is the same idea that we've already seen in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. If you look back in chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says that, that, that what I think is the scariest verse in Scripture, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will hinder the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. So what the question before us is, what does acknowledging Jesus mean? Because clearly it's got to mean more than just verbal, Lord, Lord, right? It's more than maybe wearing a cross around your neck. It's, it's more than having a Christian bumper sticker on your car. It's more than just saying, I'm a Christian. It's more than that. Jesus tells us it's doing the will of God. Oh, it's the will of God. Well, he's been telling us it's, it's, it's practicing the righteousness of the kingdom. It's proclaiming the message of the kingdom. And it's doing so, Jesus says, even when it's costly. Even when it's costly, because blessed are you 
who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, even when it's costly. Now, we get an example of this in the life of Peter. And as we continue to go through Matthew's gospel, uh, I want you to try and keep this all together. I know that's difficult. It's been a long haul. But, but, but we see Jesus' teaching lived out in the lives of the stories. We get these intense teaching times, then the stories come, and we see the teaching come to life. Well, one in particular, thinking about acknowledging Jesus, that immediately should come to our mind if we've read the whole story, is Peter, right? Peter's situation. When the pressure is at its peak, namely for Peter, when Jesus is now on trial and he's arrested, Peter denies Christ before others. He literally wilts before a little girl. That's what happens. He denies Jesus. And you know the story. Jesus is telling them, be on watch, be on guard, and Peter is confident. I will never abandon you. Maybe that's where you're at right now. Chase, goodness gracious, I'm not going to deny Christ. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, I tell you, before the rooster even crows, before morning comes, before dawn hits, you will have denied me three times. And the point is that we too must take heed. Jesus' warnings are meant to keep us. And I love how, how Jesus tells Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. You know what I now think of if you've seen any of those Avengers movies? Uh, that one where, where uh, Hulk takes Loki by the feet and just... <laughs> some of you get that. Literally beats him to a pulp. That's what I imagine. He's going to take you like wheat and just slap you around. But Jesus says but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. I've prayed for you. So Peter, the pressure's high. He denies Christ. Why does he deny Christ in this moment? He's been with Jesus throughout all the moments, pretty much. He's been with him through all the trials well, because this one's at its peak. At this point, his life is at stake. Because now Jesus, he, he's not seemingly in his physical presence. Jesus is taken away from him, and he's thinking, if I'm associated with Jesus in this moment, they might take me too and crucify me. And so he denies it vehemently because he's scared. Now here's the comforting part of the story. Though Peter denies Jesus three times, we know from John's gospel that Jesus restores him. And this tells us that the warning of denial here is actually a warning against a permanent denial of Christ. This isn't, to some sense, goodness, I, I failed today. I, I'm kicked out of the kingdom. Jesus turned his back on me. No, this is a final betrayal, a final denial. We, we see the, 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 that aspect of it in the life of Judas. But this is not to say that Peter was not in real danger. He was in danger. If he continued in that state of denial, but he repented, and he comes back to Christ, he comes back broken, and we see that Christ with open arms receives him, restores him, and finds him useful for his service. And what we find out that even in our failures, even in these trials, they are used by Christ to strengthen our faith. It comes back, I've prayed for you that your faith might not fail. Well, it looks like Peter's faith failed. Not ultimately. 
Not ultimately. It was strengthened through that. It was strengthened through that trial. So he comes. He repents. He he comes back to Christ. And church history tells us that Peter not only died for Christ, but he also died by crucifixion. So what's the point here? Jesus is telling us in this passage that the pressures are going to get high. The the pressures are going to build. They are going to find a, a peak in your life. And you're not only going to be tempted to deny me, he says that sometimes you will. That's what we we see through the life of Peter. Sometimes you and I are going to fail. Maybe you feel like this year, I failed. Well, there's still hope. Christ extends his arms out to you. But the point is, is that our failures remind us how much we need him. But the pressures were more than we realized. Maybe you can think of times you've denied Christ this year, either through your words, maybe you, you denied or you stayed hidden when you knew you needed to speak up. Or maybe, so you denied him maybe by your words or maybe you denied him by your actions. All because you were in a situation that you didn't feel like you could be associated with him. These temptations that come for all of us, they often come where we're most vulnerable. It comes to our, our chink in our armor where, where we, we think we're all covered and it, and it comes. And that's why Jesus goes on in verses 34 and 36 to, to tell us that, that the trouble is going to come in the most intimate ways, maybe the most vulnerable of situations. And he gives one example. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And he explains that. I've, I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. What is Jesus doing? Is he talking out of two sides of his mouth? Because I thought he came to bring peace. I thought he was the prince of peace, right? In verse 13, he told us, when you enter in a home, you're to bring the peace of God upon it. And now Jesus is sounding like a militant guy coming in with a sword, hacking people. What is Jesus saying? The point that Jesus is saying is that I do come to bring peace, but the peace that I offer the world does not receive. The world does not receive this. And so, again, calibrating expectations. And so when you and I stand up for for Jesus and his kingdom righteousness, Jesus is telling us that when you speak out, when you associate with him, in the world's eyes it will be like a sword. And you'll feel it. Division will occur. And when you feel the divide, when, when, when the line is proverbially drawn in the sand, There are going to become times that that you're going to face situations. Maybe it's these that he's put here. Maybe it's a family dynamic. Maybe it's a mother-daughter, father-son. Maybe it's some other relationship that you have. Maybe it's a work relationship. The line will be drawn in the sand, and you'll hear these words, choose us or else. Our brothers and sisters in the Middle East This happens regularly. Choose Allah or else. 
here side with the with sexual freedom or else. There's always side with a manifestation of the world's values or else. And Jesus says it's going to come sometimes in the place you least expect it. Now this doesn't mean we look for trouble. Scripture never tells us to look for trouble. doesn't give us a, a, a free card to be jerks. But the point is that Jesus says, trouble will find you. You don't have to find it. So when you and I are in those positions, we're to remember two things. First here, his warning. His warning, verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What's he saying? Whatever, wherever the dividing line is, you're going to have to make a choice. Me or that relationship. And so what do we see? You must prioritize me. You must keep me as the treasure of all. The idea is of, uh, uh, that you don't give up. And finally choose the other relationship over Jesus. And that's where the pressure is going to be. I love this person. I love this job. I love these things. And in and of themselves, they're not maybe sinful. And following Jesus has made those things seemingly turn against you. And the temptation is going to come. I can't handle it anymore. I just want out. I'm tired of the conflict. I'm tired. I just want peace. And the tempter would say, well, just side with the world and you can have it. That's going to be the battle. That's going to be the battle for us. What we find out in Scripture is that the overall message is that those who quit the race show that they are never really running. They had different goal in mind. Jesus wasn't the goal. 1 John 2.19, they left us to show that they were never really of us. And so one's failure to endure is actually a revelation of what their true treasure was. And yet Jesus tells us he must be our highest priority even amongst the most important relationships that you may have. Now get this. Jesus even goes a step further, not just those relationships you may have, but even your relationship with yourself. The battle of acknowledging Christ is not just going to be an external one, it's going to be an internal one. Do you see that in verse 38? Jesus says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. He makes it very personal, which really is where it all comes to. And every time I've seen someone walk away from the faith, it's because I can't part with who I am. This is my life. And if it's Jesus or this, it's got to be this. I can't part with who I am. And Jesus says, you'll lose because you have now set yourself in a Hostility towards God. 
the world tells us what? Be true to yourself, right? Every TV show, every music, all, all, all the music on, on the radio, everything. Be true to yourself. That's the message of the world. Pursue your heart's desires. Let nothing stand in the way. And Jesus says, if you live like that, you will lose. Oh, it may look like you're winning, but that's temporary. You will lose in the end. You'll lose your life because friendship with the world is enmity with God. And we have to remember that when we're running and you're weary and you think the world is just saying, stop running. Why are you running that race? You look miserable. That's been hard. That's, that's, that's telling you to deny yourself. Take up your cross. Who wants to do that? Come over here. And it's just like in the days of Noah. They were marrying and giving in marriage, saying there's peace when... When there is no peace. Nothing's going to happen. It's all going to carry on just as it was. And then the floods came like a thief in the night. And so when you and I feel pressure to deny Christ in order to preserve our life, that's really where it comes, right? At the end of the day, the temptation, I want to preserve myself, whatever that looks like. Remember that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And it's a fool's errand to oppose him. So when you're tempted to quit, the first, you've got to remember Jesus' warning. But second, remember the promise of reward. Look at the second half of verse 39. And whoever loses his life for my sake, that's a perfect qualifier, will find it. This isn't just dying to die, suffering to suffer. This isn't pursuing, it's that I'm pursuing Christ and I lose my life because of it. I lose those relationships. I lose those earthly treasures. I lose all those things because of it. He says, don't worry. You'll save your life, your soul, forever. And so Jesus takes the warning. Yes, there's a warning if you quit the race, but there's a great reward. And so this is why Jesus also calls us to have rightly placed rewards. Rightly placed rewards. Verses 40 through 42. Even though the world, brothers and sisters, threatens us. And maybe that threat right now is just very generic towards you. Maybe you don't feel it in a personal way. That's, that's great. But some of you do feel it in a personal way. Even though the world threatens us, Christ promises us much more than the world can take away. You get that? What the world promises or threatens to take away, Christ promises much more than they could ever take away. I love what Jesus says after the rich young ruler walks away sad because he had much riches. And Peter and the apostles, it's comical. Hey, Jesus, just so you know, we left everything. We left everything to follow you. And Jesus reminds them of this promise. In chapter 19, verse 29, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold. And I will give them eternal life. 
Oh, you think you're losing out? I'm going to multiply it endlessly. And so Jesus' call to endurance is now incentivized with reward. There is a prize at the end of the race. And so this is that, that looking to the joy that is set before us. So how do we receive this reward? Well, he tells us in verse 40, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Now we need to unpack these pronouns. Who is he talking about? Well, Jesus is first talking about the apostles. Whoever receives you, you apostles, receives me. That's who he's talking about. And whoever is us, okay? Whoever receives you, apostles, receives me, Jesus says. And this is important because the temptation to deny Christ and his words to be embarrassed about what he says also comes to be embarrassed by the words of the apostles. It's not uncommon to hear people say, well, that's not what Jesus said. That's what Paul said. Or just give me the red letter edition Bible. Now, I'm not knocking on that at all. If you got one, I have one. Just saying, those, it's almost as if, well, those are the words that matter more. What we're seeing in the red letter, if you have it right now, is that actually Jesus says in his red letters, listen to the apostles. Listen to them. Just think about this for a moment. The words of the apostles is the only way you've come to know Jesus. It's the only way. Right now, we're in the gospel of of who? Of Matthew. You're in Matthew's gospel. Now you might be thinking about the other gospels. What about Mark? And if you're a student of scripture, you know Mark actually wasn't an apostle. But do you know who Mark hung around with? The apostle Peter. This is actually, Mark's probably Peter's gospel. It's just Mark wrote it. And what about Luke? Well, Luke and Paul were a tag team. And then you got John. They're all attached to the apostles. And we could go through this with the, the rest of the New Testament, but that's for a discipleship class at a later time, okay? But what I want you to see is that, is that we come to Jesus through their words. Now, this doesn't mean that we worship them. You actually find cases in particular to Acts where, where people come and they bow down to, to Peter or Paul, and they say, get up, I, I'm a man just like you. But they were inspired, and they, they, they breathed out God's word. And so when Jesus tells them at the end of the gospel, go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, well, where do we get the all that he's commanded? Through the apostles. And so maybe you read God's word at times, and, and, and you get out in certain places, and you become embarrassed. That's not culturally couth. You know, that's, that's not good. That would be embarrassing if people knew we believe this. And Jesus reminds us, he who is in, who's ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed for my Father who's in heaven. But Jesus tells us, if you receive them, the, the apostles, you receive me. That's what he's saying in verse 40. And if you receive him, that's Jesus, you'll receive the one who sent him. Well, who's that? God the Father. And I want you to think about this receiving language. We just had Christmas, right? And we we were giving and receiving of of gifts. 
and, it, and he pictures the apostles as gifts. Actually, in Ephesians 4, he says they are. Christ gave gifts to men upon were the apostles and the prophets. If you receive the gifts of Christ, you receive Christ. And if you receive Christ, you'll receive the gift of Christ, which is the Father. Do you see that? This is Jesus' point in verse 41. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Jesus is just saying the same thing twice, just so you know. A prophet and a righteous person in the Old Testament are, are the same people. They are those who bring you the word of God. And he's now placing the apostles in that position. That's, that's what he's doing. He's saying you are those who are going to bring the living word of God to people. And whoever receives you, receives me. You see the, the logical chain. They are the ones who are going to reveal God to you and Christ to you. And Jesus says, those who receive them, verse 41, the prophet, the righteous one, the apostle, what do you receive? You receive their reward. It's not that you're taking it away from them. You're going to receive the same reward that that person has. In other words, you're going to inherit the kingdom of God just as they. I love what Peter writes in 2 Peter. And 2 Peter actually is a word to the churches of, uh, of Galatia and, and, and Asia Minor to, um, to endure. And Peter starts off his letter like this. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you see that? If you and I, here's the promise, if you and I hold fast to the words of the apostles, hold fast to the words of the New Testament, then we will receive the same reward as they did, as they will. Well, what's that reward? Well, throughout Scripture, it's often uh, spoken of as a crown. It's often spoken of a crown. It's, it's the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4.8. It's the eternal crown in 1 Corinthians 9.25. It's the crown of glory, 1 Peter 5.4. It's the crown of life, James 1.12. It's the victor's crown, Revelation 2.10. What do all these crowns represent? I don't take them as, as different types of rewards, but different aspects of the one true reward, namely our salvation and the kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's the, it's the multifaceted of that crown jewel and every light is refracting on it and, and we're seeing its glory and its crown and its, and its beauty and its life that is reflecting and it is, it is teaching us that there are unsearchable riches of the glorious kingdom of God that is for those who receive God's word, who receive the gospel, So in the meantime, brothers and sisters, you and I, we may find that the world does not receive us. And you may find that, that you and I do not have the resources and security that the world seems to offer. But look at verse 42. Jesus puts us into the picture. 
Jesus says, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Who are the little ones? It's you and us. It's a term of endearment in the gospel of Matthew. Little ones are Christians in the gospel. And he he associates all of us as little ones. And what a picture. He started off with sheep and doves in the midst of wolves. We're like children. I mean, that's really what we're like. We're like children running around in the wolves' den. We're vulnerable. We're weak. Sometimes we make foolish decisions. We get scared. We'll run and hide. But Jesus says that though we have nothing, we're like little children. Even the smallest expression of mercy that we can show, even if it's just a cold cup of water, it doesn't go unnoticed by your Heavenly Father. Do you see that? You may not be an apostle or prophet, and just just spoil alert, you're not, okay? Okay. You may not be able to, as we saw earlier, to be able to heal the lame and raise the dead. We sometimes say, oh, if I had those things, I could do the works of God. You may not have those titles. You may not have those gifts. But when you extend the mercy of the kingdom in Jesus' name, you receive a prophet's reward. Do you see that? Your labors for Christ and his kingdom are not in vain, brothers and sisters. No matter how small or insignificant they may appear in the world's eyes, and even in our eyes, the God who numbers the hairs on your head even knows the most smallest expression of mercy that you share. And so you who hold fast to Christ's word and labor to teach your children at home that gospel? Or are you who have overcome your fears in 2019 and you shared Christ for the first time? Or you who have gone to minister to those in the jail or have served the homeless and the destitute or who have fed the football players who have come here? You who serve faithfully the children of this neighborhood who come here on Wednesday night? Or you who who serve and labor in our nursery, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, you who visit the sick and the homebound, you who care for your parents of an old age, you who love your spouse as you love Christ, you who pray for the needs of the saints and seek to meet those needs with whatever measure of gift that you've been given, You who have done things like these in Christ's name, your labors are not in vain. You are doing the work of the kingdom and you will receive a prophet's reward. So while these things may seem mundane, don't they? Sometimes just the race, it just seems mundane. What am I doing? Jesus is reminding you, no, no, no. As you run, as you hold fast, as you serve, as you speak my words, you'll by no means lose your reward. You're doing the work of the Savior. So as 2020 is coming, maybe, I don't know where you're at, maybe you're weary today, or maybe you're still full of energy. 
I want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't give up. Your work's not in vain. I want you to preserve to the end. I want you to look to Christ who has gone before you and who promises never to leave you nor forsake you. Never. And when you finish your race, you will receive the gift of the Father who will tell you, come, enter into the joy of your master. That's what lays before us, brothers and sisters. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we go into the new year.